Today we are going to be talking about upgrading the Anawan the Ruin Thief sneak attack pre-con deck with a budget of $50. So let's get into it. So first of all, in the description, there's a link to an Architect deck and it will have the new additions, it will have the uh, cut from original deck, and it will have basically all the information you need. So listen to this episode, think about what I'm saying, if you agree with me on the cuts and changes that I'm making, and then go in there and, you know, actually use it to make the cuts. Because you don't want to scrub through or look through the uh, video to look for specific information. That's just not the correct medium. So there's an architect link in the description. You can go there, um, but you can also see the deck on my screen while I'm talking about it. All right, so basically this is organized into a, a couple different categories. Uh, there's stuff that's really expensive, right? So I have eight cards that are $160 here, and they're not in the deck, right? But I put them in the Architect deck in case you want, in case you want to spend more and you think it's worth it for these cards. I'm not necessarily saying these cards should go in the deck or that they're worth the money. Some of them are, some of them aren't. I just put them there so you can look at them and make your own decision. Um, I'm a lot less thorough with cards that aren't actually being switched out, so I might miss cards and lots of other things, but that's the idea of this category. There are also some, you know, relatively not that bad cards. Like, there's a $7 card, $6 card, depending on where you buy it. Um, so you also might have some of these cards. Point is... There's an expensive category if you want to do that. Okay, so let's get into the, you know, stuff I'm adding. And, you know, no. First, we're going to talk about the commander and what the deck is trying to do. Anawan the Ruined Thief is two blue and a black for 2-4. Legendary creature, vampire rogue. Other rogues you control get plus one, plus one. And whenever one or more rogues you control deal combat damage to a player, that player mills a card for each one damage dealt to them. If the player mills at least one creature card this way, you may draw a card. Or sorry, you draw a card. It's not a may ability. So the idea of this is to have a rogue deck. Now, a rogue tribal deck it synergizes really well with the second ability of dealing combat damages to players. Because rogues love to be unblockable or have flying or have evasion or deal damage in general. It just synergizes really well. The second part that I don't think synergizes that well is the fact that it deals, that it mills for each one damage. So the issue with that is rogues aren't necessarily that big. They're going to be doing one, two, maybe three damage. And sure, all of that would go plus one. So maybe it's two, three, maybe four damage. But that's still not very much. Rogues are about getting individual triggers. So every time you hit, you get a trigger. And that just adds up really, really quickly in comparison with Anawan. And even if you do have a good amount of things, uh, there's diminishing returns, right? If you're dealing a lot of damage to each opponent, well, you can't get multiple cards if you mill multiple creatures. From If you mill multiple creatures from one person, you don't get multiple cards. If you mill one per one creature from one person and one creature from another person, you will get two cards, I think. 
Um, let me read this again. Whenever one or more rogues you control deal combat damage to a player, that player mills a card for, for each one damage dealt to them. If the player mills at least one creature card this way, you draw a card. Yes, I'm correct. Um, if it, you deal one damage to one, one person and they mill a creature, and you deal three damage to the, another person and they mill a creature, you will draw cards from each of them. But if you deal four damage to one person and they mill two creatures, you will still only draw one creature. So, what does this mean? So, first of all, I think, you know, another aspect I wanted to touch on, actually, is mill, right? Mill is here, but the issue is we're dealing damage and our payoff for damage is mill and draw. Now, payoff of draw is great. Payoff of mill is questionable because we're just going to kill them with damage before we kill them with mill. We're probably, and I'd say this is a pretty safe assumption that if you're playing mill, you're going to have to mill about 80 cards from each player. You're probably going to deal 40 damage to someone before you deal 80, 80 damage to someone. Like, it's that's just how it works. So you can then some supplement it, right? You can use your own other mill cards, or you can double mill or something like that. But the issue with doubling mill is it's inconsistent. And you're going to kill someone anyways, even if you do double the mill. And the issue with supplementing with your own mill is you could just supplement the damage. You can choose, you know, you can choose to focus on one thing or the other. But if you supplement the damage, then you're supplementing both and you get to draw cards still. So in my opinion, I think you should build towards the rogue side of it and just ignore the mill part, right? Like you can add power and you'll be milling opponents and that's, you know, not a bad, well, it is kind of a bad thing, but you get to draw cards, so it's fine. But you're not really trying to use that as a way to win. In my opinion, um, you're not going to have very much agreements, agreements. You're not going to agree with me very much on the changes I made in this deck uh, if you don't share that philosophy with me. So other, you know, changes that means is basically I just want to, you know, get out tons of rogues because the rogues are going to get bigger, right? So if we can get as much benefit from that plus one, plus one on other rogues, meaning we would have a lot of creatures, then that would get more, when we have a lot of creatures, that means that we can have more rogues dealing damage. We can also try to duplicate Anawan. Now, there's one card, um, that card would be Sakashima the Imposter. Okay, so first of all, Anawan the Rune Thief is a legendary creature. So if we use a normal clone, then one of them will have to be sacrificed due to the legend rule. But there are some cards that get around that. Spark Double and um, Sakashima the Imposter get around that. Now, Sakashima is out of the deck because it's expensive, um, but it's only $6. So if you want to bring your $48.86 budget to $55, go for it. But... Um, so the idea, the benefit of duplicating Anawan is several things. First of all, other rogues you control are now going to get plus two, plus two, which is nice. And second of all, that rogue mill thing. Now, yes, you will be doubling mill, and maybe that can make mill a more viable strategy, 
but it's just not very consistent considering there are only two cards that can do this in the deck. Um, you could also add uh, the the uh, new legend that doubles mill, but even so, it would be three cards you could draw out of the deck, and that's just not the build I went with. So basically, that means you're going to be drawing a lot of cards. So rogues getting plus two plus two means they're probably going to be dealing three damage, which means they're probably going to be milling a card, right? And it, that trigger will happen twice. It will mill twice, and you'll get to draw a card twice. So you're just going to be able to, if you have three rogues, which you already have two because you have two anawans, um, and they have three power, then you're just going to be deal drawing six cards per turn. Now, obviously, that's a best-case scenario because you're not actually going to be drawing that much. Basically, you'll get six triggers of milling three cards if you attack each opponent once and manage to deal damage. But you get the point. Like, it just will very quickly become out of hand if you have multiple Anawans. So what else did I add? So the other thing I added was removal. Uh, the reason I did removal was just A, uh, the deck needed a little bit more spot removal, and B, some of the spot removal it did have was just not that great, so I just quickly upgraded it. Uh, simple enough, you know, that's just a small transition that just makes the deck work a little bit better. Another small transition is ramp. Uh, this deck had a lot of 3 CMC ramp, which is fine, but with the commander being 4 CMC, the, the upside of having 2 CMC ramp, which is what I replaced the 3, MCC, 3 CMC ramp with, is on turn 2 you can play the ramp, and then on turn 3 you can play the commander. Whereas if you have turn 3 ramp, then you're not getting that benefit on turn 4 because you're going to be casting the commander, and you'll already have the 4 lands, and you're not getting the benefit as early. It's a little bit less cost-effective, mana-effective. It's just, it doesn't fit together well, you know? It's just, it doesn't go together. <laughs> I, mean, I just said the same thing twice in a row, but you get the idea. Uh, next up, another small, you know, change I made was I just, you know, switched out some of the less efficient and uh, expensive rogues that have evasion, and I replaced them with cheaper or... Um, rogues that have some kind of upside. I also, let's see, what else did I just quickly swap out? I think that's just about everything that I s just made a quick switch for because it's just a little bit, it works better this way. So the rest of it is just cards I wanted to add and cards I wanted to cut for whatever reason. So let's get into the cards I added because that's debatably more exciting. So Let's see, um, we already covered a lot of these things, so I'm going to have to go through this a second. Okay, Cloak and Dagger is 2 for Tribal Artifact Rogue Equipment. A court creature gets plus 2 plus 0 and has Shroud. Whenever a rogue creature comes into play, you may attach Cloak and Dagger to it. So basically it's just a way to, on turn 2, cast this, and then on turn 4, you can cast your commander. It'll be bigger, and it will have a Shroud. This is really good because it's cheap and it'll just protect your commander. You can also use it on some other rogue that needs protecting, but that's not necessarily as important as your commander. Um, but that's up to you, you know, to decide in the moment. 
So it's just good to have protection. Dusk Mantle Guild Mage is blue, black for 2-2. Two, two. Creature, human, wizard. One blue, black. Whenever a card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere this turn, that player loses one life. And I don't care about the second ability. So the reason that this is good is because my rogues are going to be dealing damage to a player. They're then going to mill a card for every damage I deal to them. And then they those cards that mill are going to deal damage to them again. No, this does not create an infinite loop because Duskmantle Guild Mage is not a rogue and it is also not combat damage. But it doubles the damage that my rogues will deal. Every damage that my rogues would deal this turn is instead two damage, which is incredibly good. It's just a way to get some more damage out. And it does cost three mana every turn you want to use it, but it, it's still good. All right, Glint, uh, this, this counts as cheap evasion stuff. Okay, Thieving Skydiver uh, is one in a blue for 2-1 with Kicker X. X can't be zero. Flying. Uh, yes, this is cheap evasion, and it's a Morphork Rogue, so that's really good in terms of that. Um, and the second ability is when thiever, Thieving Skydiver enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, gain control of target artifact with CMC le X or less. If that artifact is an equipment, attach it to Thieving Skydiver. I don't think I have to tell you that taking equipments or artifacts from opponents is incredibly powerful. And in this deck where dealing damage to opponents counts, getting an equipment onto Thieving Skydiver is also incredibly powerful. So this is a very good card. And considering it's only $4 right now, I would pick it up because it is very likely to become a staple very soon. Also, it was only printed in a commander deck, which means it's likely going to get very expensive over time. There are a lot of other examples of cards that were incredibly powerful that were only printed in commander decks that are now worth $40. That said, I am not a magic investment channel. I do not invest very much in magic. Eh, no, I don't strategically invest in magic cards, so don't actually take my advice. Uh, if you actually are considering doing this, um, talk to someone more knowledgeable than me or watch a video. I don't know. Do more research. I'm not an investment channel. All right. Throne of the God Pharaoh. Two, for a legendary artifact. At the beginning of your end, each end step, uh, sorry, at the beginning of your end step, each opponent loses life equal to the number of tapped creatures you control. This deck has 37 creatures, not counting the commander. That is a lot, and it really cares about attacking opponents. And... The and we're likely, we are unlikely to be stopped from attacking our opponents also because our, our creatures have evasion. I'm stumbling over my words a lot, but that just happens sometimes. So basically, it's just we're going to consistently be able to attack with a sizable number of creatures, so we might as well get a significant amount of life loss for each opponent from this only two-mana artifact actually going to end up being significantly powerful. All right, uh, Black Bloom Rogue is two and a black for two, three. Creature, human, rogue. It has menace, and it has it gets plus three, plus zero, as long as an opponent has eight or more cards in the graveyard. Now, this front side is bad, but on the other side, it has land. It enters tapped, and you can tap it for a black. So, 
basically you can either get this slightly bad land or you can get this slightly bad creature. Now this might not seem that great, but it's a rogue. So if it gets that plus three plus O, oh, then it can be a five three for three mana and that's pretty good. Plus it has menace. So it's likely gonna be dealing damage to an opponent and then milling them for five, which will likely draw you a card. So it's not the best thing in the world, but considering that all I had to do was swap out a tap land for it, it is definitely worth it. Glass Pool Mimic is two and a blue for a creature shapeshifter rogue. You may have Glass Pool Mimic enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature you control, except it's a shapeshifter rogue in addition to its other types. This is honestly a powerful creature by itself. But it also has a flip side. And on the other side, it can be a tapped land. So this is a powerful card that can also be a tapped land on the other side. I think this is very good because um, no matter what you need, it's there. All right, Thada Adele Acquisitor is one blue blue for a 2-2 with Island Walk. When it deals combat damage to a player, search that player's library for an artifact and you can play it with, you can play it um, until end of turn. Uh, you do not get any mana changes, but because it's an artifact, that's fine. This is an incredibly powerful card, as I'm sure you have experienced in many commander games. Plus it's a rogue, which means it'll get pumped. Uh, it might get evasion from this deck. Unlikely there's not too many sources, but there are some. And you also just get to steal artifacts, which is great. Uh, other than that, you know, it's a good card and it's definitely great, but it is $6, so I wouldn't fault you for not including it if you want to, you know, spend, save a couple dollars. Biden of Thassa is two blue blue for legendary enchantment artifact. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card. And it has one blue tap. Creatures your opponents control attack this turn if able. So there are three versions of this in the deck. Basically, because of the fact that we have 37 creatures with evasion, inclu not including the commander, we are going to consistently be able to, do, to deal damage to our opponents with creatures a lot of the time, which will allow us to draw a lot of cards, which will then allow us to get a lot of creatures. It's just a cycle, and it's just going to keep on giving and for a four mana enchantment, it's incredibly good. Plus these three effects that all cost two blue blue also have some nice random benefits. Wizen Snitches is three and a blue for a one three creature fairy rogue with flying. Uh, so two four, still not that great. Players play with the top card of their libraries revealed. Now this is why we're running it. So because of the fact that our commander is going to be milling and we care if creatures are milling if our opponents are milling creatures we can uh, attack the person and make sure we deal damage to the person who has a creature on the top of their lib library if that is anyone so you know beyond probably knowing one person we're going to get to draw a card it's not going to have a huge effect but it's just a nice thing to have it would make sense to not run this if you have um, this would be a likely cut if you have something more expensive or a pet card or something else to put in. Evacuation is three blue blue for an instant. Return all creatures to their owner's hands. Uh, this is $5. I think it's worth it. You're going to use it in the future. But there are definitely more expensive versions of this. 
uh, that are significantly more powerful than it. So if you, if you have those or you want to buy them, go for it. They are definitely investments and you will use them a lot. So it's up to you. By investment, I don't necessarily mean the price is going to go up. Not that type of thing. By that, I mean you're going to use it a lot. If you, if, they, if you take apart this deck, you're just going to put it in another deck. If you have a deck within the colors, it will be in that deck. So my, you know, my examples of that would be Damnation, Toxic Deluge, and Cyclonic Rift. So, you know, Keeper of Keys. Three, blue, blue for four form. Creature, human, rogue, mutant. When it enters the battlefield, you become the monarch. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you're the monarch, creatures you control can't be blocked this turn. So here's the thing. We don't necessarily care that much about the creatures you control can't be blocked this turn. Our creatures have sufficient uh, evasion to where we will be able to get through someone's defenses. Th that benefit basically lets us go through whoever's defenses we want. And it gives us Monarch. Now, that's the main reason I'm playing it. We have Monarch, which means at the beginning of the end step, uh, yeah, the beginning of the end step, we can draw a card. And if someone takes it away from us, then we have tons and tons of a, of evasive or unblockable or whatever creatures that they're not going to be able to block that we can just take it back. So we'll then get to draw that card. So we can either just get to draw a card each turn, which is nice, and we get a 4-4 rogue, which is also nice because it's actually a 5-5, five five, um, which, which might be able to deal damage to opponents and mill them a lot, which will almost definitely draw a card. Um, point is, we're almost definitely going to get to draw a card and we're very likely going to have our things be unblockable, which just gives us a little bit more leniency. So those are the cards added. So what are the cards we cut? So I'm just going to go through these quickly. Um, if you're familiar with the deck, you should know, you know, whether you agree with me or not. I have not bought the pre-con and I did not play with it. So you might know better than me. But here are the cards I cut, and I am going to skip over some of the ones that I already discussed. Demir Aqueduct is a land, and it enters the battlefield tap. When it enters the battlefield, return a land you control to its owner's hand. And you can tap it for blue-black. So that is, you get, would get two mana from it being, from tapping it. I think this is just clunky. Um, with no extra benefit or something like that, I think this is clunky. Zulaport Cutthroat doesn't really work with the deck that well. Um, Heirloom Blade also just isn't the theme of the deck. Uh, Meringue River Prowler is clunky. Murder I've replaced with better removal. Soul Manipulation I've replaced with better removal. All of these things, like, I could read them, but it's removal. I replaced it with something better. So, you know, like, that's the idea. I don't think it's really necessary for me to read it if I don't have too much to elaborate. Whisper Steel Dagger is Tuna Black for an artifact equipment. A crypt creature gets plus two plus so whenever a crypt creature deals combat damage to a player, you may cast a creature spell from that player's graveyard this turn. And you may spend mana as though or mana of any color to cast that spell. This is three mana to cast. It then costs another three to equip. You then have to deal combat damage with it and then you can pay even more mana to be able to cast a creature out of a graveyard. It is just so expensive. 
Lazav, Demir Mastermind, is blue, blue, black, black for a 3 3 legendary creature, Shapeshifter. It has hexproof and whenever another. It has hexproof, and whenever a creature card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, you may have Lazav Demir Mastermind become a copy of that card. Except its name is Lazav Demir Mastermind. It's a legendary in addition to its other types, and it has hexproof and this ability. Alright, so the reason that I caught this is because it itself changing types is nice, but that's not the main benefit. The main benefit is being able to use that, right? It changing doesn't actually matter. You have to use the thing it changed into. And that's where the issue comes into play. We are milling all of our cards after combat, right? So we're going to cast this before combat. Uh, we are then going to attack with lots of creatures, and it's going to mill. So it's going to go around the table with everyone knowing what it is. Preferably for a card like Lazav, I would want to mill before combat so they don't know what it is and whether they have to prevent it or not. Basically, just knowing, oh, I have a 5-5 about to attack me next turn that's going to do this if I don't block or whatever it might be, just really diminishes the effect of the card, and I could definitely see it being effective. So if you play, the, play with this card a lot, um, then I could see this being effective, but it's also very meta-dependent. Your opponent's cards that they care about are not necessarily going to be the cards that you care about. So it's a very meta-dependent thing, and it's a very luck-dependent thing, and it's just a lot of things have to align and happen right for this to be worth it in the deck. And maybe it is in your meta, and I'm not questioning that, but I just don't think it's that likely to be. Marsh Flitter is 3 and a black for 1-1 one, one with flying. When Marsh Flitter enters the battlefield, put two 1-1 one, one black Goblin Rogue creature tokens onto the battlefield. And sacrifice a goblin, Marsh Flitter becomes a 3-3 until end of turn. This is fine. Um, I just don't think that my 1-1 one, one black goblin rogues are going to get through. So I don't think they actually serve any value to me. And making my Marsh Flitter a 3-3 also I don't think serves any value to me either. Because it's dealing two extra damage. It's really not that much. So maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't care about those rogues. Price of Fame is three and a black for an instant. This buff costs two less to cast if it targets a creature, a legendary creature, destroy target creature, and surveil two. This is clunky. I replaced it with something better. Um, let's skip over some of these cards that are just, you know, I already talked about this. Okay, so Consuming Aberration is three and a black for an XX. Consuming Aberration's power and toughness are each equal to the number of cards in your opponent's graveyards. Whenever you cast a spell, each opponent's whenever you cast a spell, each opponent reveals cards from the top of their library until they reveal a land card. Then puts those cards into their graveyard. I just am not very good at talking, am I? Okay, so basically is I've talked about this before. I don't think we should be building around mill. Maybe you disagree with me, in which case it should definitely be in the deck. But I just don't think Mill is helpful or useful or it serves any function at all in the deck. I think it's just there. Because milling, milling from sources other than the rogues also will not draw me cards. I just, I don't, I don't see the benefit. But maybe you do. And maybe you're building this. You know, no, it's not that I don't see the benefit. 
it's that it just doesn't seem like the way I want to build this. You can very easily, well, I don't know about easily, you could definitely build a deck that is a mill deck around this commander, and it would be good. But I'm not building that deck. And if you're not building that deck, then you shouldn't waste valuable slots on putting cards in for that deck. Because that's not what you're building. All right, Extract from Darkness. There's three blue and a black for sorcery. Each player puts the top two cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard. Then put a creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield, under your control. So this is basically similar to the Lazav situation. Paying five mana... First of all, I don't really care about the mill ability, but that's not the reason I cut it. Paying five mana to get a card back from a graveyard just isn't really that great. So either I could recur my own creature, in which case I don't want that, right? Basically, my deck is built around having small creatures. Rogues like to be small and unblockable. And they'll get a little bit bigger from, you know, the commander, but I don't really have that much value, uh, that giant, giant creature in my graveyard to where this would be great. So we're thinking about our opponent's graveyards, which makes sense because we're milling our opponents. But do we actually care about our opponent's graveyards? My cat is here, so do we actually care? And I think we don't. Now, this is very, very meta-dependent, and it's hard to make a generalization, but in this type of deck, we care about dealing damage, or we care about rogues. The rogues, I think, is completely unreasonable for us to get any to assume we'll get any benefit for unless you have like uh, an opponent who only has someone in your playgroup who only has a rogue deck. So we're not going to get benefit for rogues. So I'm sorry, my cat has decided she wants to bump my microphone. So she might meow when I try and stop her from doing that. Alright, so basically, oh my cat is so cute. I'm being distracted. Alright, I just don't think getting stuff back from my opponent's graveyards is consistently enough going to give me enough value to where it's worth it. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but I don't think it will. Ogre Slumlord is three black black for a creature Ogre Rogue. Whenever another non-token creature dies, you may create a 1-1 one, one black rat creature token. And rats you control have death touch. I've seen three cards in this deck for whatever reason it's focused on a dies deck and not a, an, a rogue deck. I don't know why it's there. Yes, those cards have the type rogue, but having the type rogue does not mean you belong in this deck. So this uh, is fine because I get rats, but I don't want rats and I don't have that many creatures dying. So therefore, it shouldn't be in the deck. Scythe Claw is five for an artifact equipment, living weapon. When this equipment enters the battlefield, create a 0-0 black germ creature token. Then attach this to it. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus one. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, that player loses half his or her life rounded up. And it has equip three. So this is good, right? Basically being able to deal the damage, it seems great, but it's not. Because first of all, that 0-0 black germ is not going to have evasion. So casting this for 5 mana and not equipping it is just not going to work. 
So we need to cast this for five mana. We then need to make it around the table because I doubt we're going to be spending eight mana in a turn. And if we do spend eight mana in a turn, it's late enough in the game where it's just not even that worth it. So if we are spending eight mana in a turn, it's not that great. And if we're not, we have to wait around the table for people, you know, to just let us do it. And that's not that's not going to happen. So you're just going to waste a lot of mana. And if even if we do spend that eight mana in a turn, it's late enough a lot of people are going to be holding up mana to stop something just like that. So maybe you can make a deal or something, but it's just not that great. All right, uh, Endless Obedience is uh, another recursion card, and I don't know why I brought it up. Spinal Embrace is three blue, blue, black for an instant. Cast Spinal Embrace only during combat. Untap target creature you don't control and gain control of it. It has haste until end of turn. At the beginning of your next end step, sacrifice it. If you do, you gain life equal to its toughness. So why is this in the deck? I have no idea. I don't know why it's here. It just is. It doesn't work with the deck. It's not that good of a card. It just exists. So I cut it. I, I, like, I don't know why it's here. Okay, Return of the Fleets, or sorry, Scourge of the Fleets is 5 blue blue for 6-6 six, six, creature, creature Kraken. When Scourge of the Fleets enters the battlefield, return each creature your opponent's control with toughness X or less to its owner's hand, where X is the number of islands you control. So that's great um, because it seems great. Uh, I don't know why I'm always just saying that's great, but point is it's seven mana, which is a lot. You know, board wipes are all about reliability. You want to have it when you need it. And you're not necessarily going to have seven mana. You probably will, but not necessarily. Also, for seven mana, you're not getting... You're not actually getting rid of it. You're just bouncing it back. And sure, it only gets your opponents, but that's not that great. And you're not even going to have that many islands. There's 15 islands in the deck. Uh, sorry for that. My cat bumped the microphone. Uh, she was just petting, I was just petting her, and she was happy, but someone must have, like, shaken something she, that she thought was food. I don't know. Point is, Scourge of Fleets is not, it's just not that great, and I could see it working, but you're not going to have that many islands. You might have one, two, maybe three islands, but you're just not bouncing that much, and it's not great value. Ingurik's Wake is 7 black black for sorcery. Destroy all creatures you don't control and all planeswalkers you don't control. This, I would not, you know, question you if you decided to keep this. I just don't think this is the right... This is a decent deck for it, honestly, because you can benefit from your opponents not having creatures, but not as much as other decks. You have evasion. Your deck is partially built around having, having creatures... Uh, that your opponents to get around so it's not that it's built around it's that it doesn't you know harm it's not harmed that much by your opponents having a lot of creatures so spending nine mana for this and having even nine mana is unlikely it just doesn't seem like the right deck for it and maybe it'll work and I really wouldn't be that surprised if someone told me you are wrong I played this deck I would not be surprised and I wouldn't question it. But it just doesn't seem to cut it for me. So 
Uh, keep in mind, look in the description if you want to make these swaps. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, I hope you enjoyed my cute cat who decided to come. Uh, thank you for listening, and I will see you next time.